line in that song that talks about the, the thinning space between us and God. Some people call that thin spaces. And uh, that's really what Revelation is about, is we get this thin space where we get to look into heaven and look behind the scenes and see what's going on. Would you pray with me as we begin? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence here with us today. We pray that you will focus us in your direction, put our eyes completely on you. We ask God that you would reveal your will in your word today. Open this book of Revelation, this vision that you gave John, and allow us to see what he saw and allow us to understand what your intention is. We give you all our hearts today ready to receive. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, we're in the study of the book of Revelation called Famous Last Words. Uh, Jesus gave the Apostle John a vision while he was exiled for preaching the gospel. He was exiled to an island called Patmos in the Adriatic Sea. And uh, he told John to write this vision down and send it to seven churches they're all on the mainland in Asia Minor. Now we call this the Revelation, or maybe even just Revelation, but never Revelations with an S on the end. We wouldn't do that because we know what it says. The Greek name for Revelation is the Apocalypse, uh, which doesn't mean the end of the world, but it means to uncover or to reveal or to lay bare. Have you ever had one of those little advent calendars? Maybe you had one this uh, past season where you open the little windows and there's a scripture reading underneath and uh, if you're really lucky, there's a piece of candy or chocolate under there when you open those little doors. You know, that is an apocalypse. One little door at a time opened and something is revealed. Through John's revelation vision, we get a chance to look behind the curtain into those thin spaces we need to look into or we get to look into a spiritual world behind things that have happened, behind things that are happening in John's day, and, and to look at what's coming, to see a glimpse of the future. Revelation is a different book, a difficult book to understand because it's very highly symbolic and its style is in a style that we don't normally read these days. But in John's days, they would have had a much greater understanding of what was being said and they would have understood much of the symbolism behind what we're reading. Here's a group under persecution and they're expecting more persecu persecution to come and John's letter is sent to them as an encouragement. Now, some of the stuff we see in the book of Revelation hardly seems like an encouragement, but believe me, it's there for a purpose, and it's there to lift the people of God. Uh, we're going to see both encouragement and the dark side and the promises in this passage that we're looking at today. So we're in Revelation chapter 9. If you've got your Bible, I'd encourage you to take it out and open up if you... Uh, don't, there's a Bible in the pew ahead of you nearby, and I uh, encourage you to follow along. We're in Revelation 9. The Apostle John writes, The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. 
And when he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like smoke from a giant furnace. The sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss, and out of the smoke locusts came down on the earth and were given power like that of the scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass or the plant or the tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not allowed to kill them, but only torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes. During those days, people will seek death but not find it. They will long to die, but it will elude them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth was like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like a thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails with stingers like scorpions, and in their tails they had the power to torment people for five months. They had as a king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek is Apollyon, that is, destroyer. The first woe is past. And two other woes are yet to come. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. And it said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour, day, and month of the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. The horses and riders I saw in my vision, they looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire and smoke and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes, having heads with which they inflict injury. The rest of mankind, who were not killed by these plagues, still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk, Neither did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. So that's a, a long passage, and it sounds pretty dark. So I want to break this into four parts this morning. Uh, first of all, I want to start with the fifth trumpet that includes the angel of the abyss and talk about that angel. And then second, the plague of locusts. Third, the sixth trumpet that includes the four angels that seem to have a license to kill. And then, fourth, I want to look at the problem that led to all of this. Uh, our refusal to repent and the focus of our worship. Where's the focus of our worship? So let's start with uh, the fifth trumpet. That seems to be a good place to, to be. And, you know, we've heard a lot of numbers up till this point. You know, maybe you've been thinking about that. I mean, we had seven churches, seven lampstands, seven seals on God's scroll. 
uh, seven manifestations of God's spirit, seven trumpets, seven woes, a partridge in a pear tree. I think that was an eagle flying and giving prophecy. Don't worry about trying to remember all the details, okay? Just remember the main points, the spiritual points. God created us to bring glory to himself. We were created to have a really direct relationship with him. But with the fall of our first parents, all of that changed. And sin has corrupted all humans and through us, the world around us. Each of us is born with a sin nature. It's a propensity to sin or a magnetic attraction to sin. Redemption is necessary for us to have a relationship with our creator, to the holy God that he is. Jesus' death on the cross dealt with our sin and our need for salvation and our forgiveness. And, and all of that is offered freely if we will believe in Jesus, the Son of God and what he accomplished, and if we just receive his forgiveness. But what about when we refuse to repent? What about when we turn away to our sin and not towards God? That's what all this divine judgment is about in these sections, God's wrath. Uh, it's, it's also to answer the prayers that were being given by God's people for justice particularly the martyred Christians. So this is a, a continuation. You might have noticed that, that you know, these things don't just stop at the end of the chapter. They start in one chapter and they flow into the next chapter. And that's because originally when this was written, there were no chapters. There were no divisions. There were no verses. So everything was meant to be read together and it flowed together. And can you imagine something as big as this with this content that we have here all being read in one sitting? That would be pretty overwhelming, be an awful lot. So that's why we take it in smaller chunks. Incidentally, uh, there were no verses in our Bible, or at least in the New Testament part of our Bible, until a fellow by the name of Robert Estienne came along and he put uh, little numbers and chapters in sometime in the 1550s. Uh, he was being chased and escaping uh, from, he had printed some things that, that were not popular where he was living, and so he left on horseback uh, for Geneva. And on the road to Geneva, he wrote in those little verses and those chapters to help us to be able to locate things as you go along. So if you've ever wondered why when you're reading your, your Bible and it suddenly seems to end in a really weird spot, maybe that's where he got off the horse. You know? <laughs> There are all kinds of things that he could have encountered that interrupted the flow. So that's how they came to be. But they're very handy for us, aren't they? They help us to get to the right spot and uh, to know what's being said. So from the end of chapter 8, where four trumpets were announced, four judgments uh, were announced by those trumpets, and we come into the beginning of chapter 9 where something really different and ominous happens. We had an eagle at the end of the last chapter pronouncing three woes. These are three things that were going to be worse than anything that had come already. And this is one of them. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. And the star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. And when he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like 
the smoke of a gigantic furnace. The sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. Well, the star that fell, uh, we're told a little later on, that's an angel. And it says, says that in verse 11. John calls him Abaddon in the Hebrew, or Apollyon in Greek. Abaddon means destruction or ruin. Apollyon means exterminator or destroyer. Now, I think he uses both names here for a reason. I think he does this because he wants to make sure that we get the message. This is one powerful angel. And he opens the abyss. He has the keys. The abyss is the underworld where, according to New Testament writers, there is a prison for certain kinds of demons. And the underworld also can mean in other spots the abode of the dead, which is divided into good and bad. And obviously what we're seeing here this morning is coming from the bad side. Picture this. A giant bottomless pit and out of it comes all this smoke it's like a furnace a huge amount of smoke being released and there's so much smoke that the sun and the moon have been darkened have you ever experienced a solar eclipse you ever been outside we had one not too many years ago here and uh, I was out there during that uh, with uh, my special shades on and a special covering over my camera lens so I wouldn't burn out the receptor. And, and uh, I was watching this eclipse and trying to get some pictures of it. And then as it began to wane, as it began to fade out, I took off my special glasses and, and I noticed that it was weird. <laughs> That's the only way I can describe it. It was unusual. The color uh, just all looked different. It, it had an ominous quality to it. It was a kind of a sickly yellow color. It was disturbing, to say the least. And I could see why ancient peoples who saw eclipses for the first time would be terrified, because they would have no idea what's going on. I picture that kind of light here. Sickly. Ominous. Dark. Now, this is the part of the movie where you yell, don't go into that house, you know, but they go anyway. And then the monsters come and bad things happen. First thing is the plague of locusts. This is when the monsters do come out in John's vision. This is what he saw. And out of the smoke, locusts came down on the earth and were given power like that of scorpions on the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or trees, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not allowed to kill them. That's the people who didn't have the seal. But only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes. During these days, people will seek death, but not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. The first thing I, I need you to grab onto here in this part of the passage is this part that says that these hideous things were not allowed to touch any of God's people who had the seal of God on their forehead. You know, they were going to experience uh, torture, they were going to experience 
all kinds of, of trials and, and, and all kinds of persecution. But they were not going to experience God's wrath. They had the seal that God gave them because they had believed and followed Christ. All those people were th people like the martyrs of the Christian faith, the people of Israel who were redeemed out of, out of that time period, and all that mass of people who died and came to Jesus during the Great Tribulation. God repeats that promise here. He's repeated it a couple of times. I hope you noticed that. That if you're a believer, you may suffer persecution, but you won't suffer wrath. You know, there's no promise that this won't make life more difficult. But the beasts of wrath cannot touch you. That's God's promise. Now, these are really ugly things. You know, they are li very likely we're told, I think, later on that, uh, that, or at least it's intimated that they are demons. And they look like giant locusts. Um, I can hardly understand what this picture looks like. I mean, you know, think about a grasshopper as big as a horse <laughs> with stingers on one end and a human face and lion's teeth and breastplates like iron, impenetrable. And when they flew together, it was so loud, it was like the coming of thundering chariots and many horses rushing into battle. These were monsters. I mean, this is kind of your worst nightmare come true. Supernatural, demonic. They had permission to torment people for five months but not kill them and torture them to the point where people wanted to die but somehow couldn't die. I can't understand uh, what that agony would be like. By the way, five months is close to the life cycle of locusts, so that's why five months. But these locusts didn't devour crops. They produced agony to those who were not marked with the seal of God. And then we're told that this is past, that the first woe was past, but there are two more on the way. The sixth trumpet, the sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming out of the four horns of the grand altar, or the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Wow. A third of mankind. And we already saw the killing of a third of mankind. Verse 16 tells that they, they were like mounted troops. They were twice 10,000 times 10,000. Now, I don't think the number is given here so that we sit down and calculate just how many millions that was, um, maybe billions, but it's way bigger than a natural army. I mean, it's no ordinary army. This one is demonic too, and it comes from the abyss. The riders wore this surreal-looking armor. It's a supernatural-looking armor. But it's not the soldiers or the riders that are doing the killing. 
It's the horses. You ever ridden a horse? I think there's some killer instinct in a horse. You best get out of its way when it's trying to move to point B and you're in the way. But horses by nature are not killers, but these ones are. These are no ordinary horses. It says that uh, the horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire and smoke and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. And the power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes, having heads with which they could inflict injury. Again, this is something, this is a monster. This is something we can't even put together in our own heads. Something out of your worst dreams. And a third of mankind die. Now think about that. You know, we've seen two-thirds of the earth die in these two parts of the plagues in this vision. We've seen hundreds of thousands of people die in COVID or because as a result of COVID around the world. But it, this is far greater. I mean, right now, think about it. There are 7.9 million people in the world. That means that uh, a third would be about 2.5 billion people. That's beyond any plague, beyond any natural disaster that we've ever experience this is not something natural and so now in the vision we've had two major plagues some horrible monsters and we know there's more to come but the question we haven't really answered totally is why why all this death and suffering why did God unleash all of this terrible stuff I think the answer is in the final part of the chapter in the last couple of verses let me put those up the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands they still did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood idols that cannot see or hear or walk nor did they repent of their murders their magic arts their sexual immorality or their thefts how could God unleash all this stuff you know he has these angels working for him, and the angels are doing a lot of the killing, or at least in charge of it. Why did God start the process in the first place? Isn't he a loving God? How come? You know, the trumpets and the plagues and all the darkness, they're all focused on one thing. They're focused on having those who haven't yet come to see God, haven't yet received him as Savior, haven't come to him in repentance, to turn them away from their sin and turn them toward God, his Son, our Lord Jesus. You know, we've talked about that scripture that says that, that God doesn't want any to perish, and so he waits as long as possible in order for as many to come in as possible. And then, even beyond that, he turns and he puts this wrath down, he puts this stuff down to drive people to God, giving them their last chance. And this has happened a couple of times. Back in chapter 7, we saw that the people, even in spite of all of the things that were going on, they still, it said, refused to repent. Repent. 
and turn to God. God here is calling the entire planet to come to him. He's calling them to receive him. He's calling them to turn away from the gods of the world that they worshipped and turn to the real God, the God of everything. The judgment, or the wrath of God here, is for the willful choice of idolatry and the corrupt practices that come with it. You remember the beginning of the book, at the very beginning of the book, uh, as we went through the seven churches, God called those churches to turn away from their faithlessness or they would end up joining the rest of these folks under wrath. And in these verses, we see the end result of refusing to turn to God. This is not something indiscriminate. This is the end result of stubbornness. The stubbornness that chooses to live in the moment and forget the eternal future entirely. I've often heard it said that that God does not condemn people to hell, but that people take themselves there by refusing to follow God. All these plagues, from chapter 6 through 9, they're all to bring society to repentance. And we see the choices. And when we see them and refuse to choose God's generous offer, we end up in the path of wrath. It's the judgment of God's justice poured out on the earth to get it and its people ready to be recreated into something new, something better, something permanent, something eternal. This is is that turnaround process, the preparing the field process. It's easy for us to look at this stuff and say, well, I've never worshipped any idols. I've never worshipped demons. I've never murdered anybody. I've never practiced dark magic arts. I've lived a moral life. I've never committed theft. But you know, it's not much about the things we're doing. It's more about our hearts. It's about, about the actions that flow from our hearts. When we don't worship God, we open ourselves up to all kinds of demonic influence. And we don't think about that, but there's that spiritual reality that's behind the curtain. Our lives become based on things like personal satisfaction or selfishness. And, and, you know, Satan is very, very happy to unleash his demons to give you a solid push away from God and towards shiny things. He would love you to get obsessed with other things. Any way to distract you from the eternal truth that God loves you and he has opened his arms to receive you. God says, come, give me your heart and I will give you rest. You can escape all of this. I made this world. It's a beautiful world, but you weren't made to worship it. You were made to worship the creator. N.T. Wright paraphrases St. Augustine when he says, you become like what you worship. So if you worship that which is not God, 
You become something other than the image-bearing human that you were meant and made to be. There's a great temptation when we look at our lives to say, this is my life. I built this. (laughs) And to make it about us. Too many of us know the truth. Too many of us know that, that gnawing in our heart that says, it isn't enough. It isn't the full story. It never will be enough. And it isn't satisfying in the long run. This life alone will never fill that empty place in my chest. It's never going to happen. Only Jesus can do that through the Holy Spirit. So the question is, have you made room for God in your life? Or have you put them on a shelf with the other shiny things that you love? Who or what do you worship? There are lots of distractions in our world. Lots of things that we could spend all of our time on. You know that anything that, we, that helps us get up in the morning and becomes the greatest part of our day, that's, that's usually what we worship. Who do you worship? And the crucial question, have you received Jesus? Do you follow Jesus? You know, at any time, we can stop and we can turn around and we can say yes to God. Any time. God's given us that much freedom, that choice. That's a good choice. Wrath and judgment are coming. That's what we're told. We don't know when that's going to happen. And so it it makes today the best time to receive Jesus or to renew our relationship with Jesus to make it stronger. So as we close this morning, I encourage you to, to do that. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Here's a, a simple prayer. You can pray along with me silently if you like. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my life and I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for forgiving my sin and thank you for giving me eternal life. Take control of my life and my death, whatever that will be. In the time that I have left, the rest of my life, help me to be the person that you want me to be. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. St. Augustine said that because God has made us for himself, our hearts are restless until they find our rest in him. And that is true. Please, if you came into a relationship with God today, we'd like to hear about it. Um, Or if today was a day when you decided that I needed to recommit my life and really get on track with God, we'd like to hear about that too. You can do that through the little blue contact card or you can send us an email or just come and talk to us and we would love to talk with you 
and pray with you or even answer any questions that you might have.